DistroKid has a new service to help leverage artists looking to get signed. Is this for real? Plus, Jeremy Gruber from Friends at Work joins in to discuss mergers, acquisitions, VR, and what's to come for 2021. Stick around, we have a lot to talk about. Welcome to Music Industry City's Tuesday Talkies, where we discuss what's going on in the world of music business. I'm Peter Schwing, joining me as always, my co-host, Sam Tall. If there's something you'd like to chime in about, join us in the chat or let us hear your thoughts in the comments below. Uh, what we do, we kind of run through the show here just to give you an idea. And uh, towards the end, when we get back as a group, uh, we open it up to comments and everything. So if you're on Twitch, checking it out on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you are, you can join in. And if you have some questions during, we'll get to them. So. So, uh, you know, and we have that kind of that after show kind of vibe. So you get that behind the scenes look. So coming up on today's show, we have a special guest, Jeremy Gruber, head of artists, marketing and digital strategy at Friends at Work. Uh, he represents artists that include John Legend, Lindsey Sterling, Charlie Puth and Raphael Sadiq. He spent more than a decade working with artists at all levels and helping them grow their brand and businesses by bringing together traditional marketing with the latest technology. And there's a lot of tech technology talk we're going to have. But first, DistroKid launches a matchmaking service to help labels find unsigned artists and Public Records is named as its first partner. So on the uh, DistroKid's blog, founder Phil Kaplan stated that... Upstream is more powerful than just a matchmaking service, though. Our goal is to give artists power over record labels to help artists achieve better, artist-friendlier terms than would otherwise be possible. To talk more about this, let's turn to Sam Tall with his thoughts. Sam, how are you? I'm good, Peter. How you doing? Ah, this is really interesting. I, 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 can, I, can I go yeah. back to that quote? Can I go back to that quote? Um, our goal is to give artists power over record labels to help artists achieve better, artist-friendlier terms. Um, uh, you know what's funny start? about that quote? Power over record labels sounds like what you do when you're independent DIY, working with a distributor like DistroKid or TuneCore, CD Baby, or what have you. What it doesn't sound like is a partnership with Republic Records, <laughs> the largest singles-driven record label in the United States uh, and possibly the world, depending on uh, what year we're talking about. I, I don't understand how that's power of a record labels if the record labels are the ones getting all the data and controlling the purse strings. And I don't understand how DistroKid can make a statement like that uh, as like a value add to their partnership with a label. Right. I'd like, you know, we're going to get back to this more. And I know you have a lot more to say because there were a few articles out there besides the blog post and music business worldwide. So I'm, go I'm going to let you take the center stage. All right. And then we'll get back sure. to that one. So there's a lot going on. I think we need to kind of zoom out for just a brief second and talk about the landscape. Firstly, the distribution space for independent artists has been incredibly hot for years and it's just it's just grown i mean we we have you know um 
so many different options with so many different business models, whether it's uh, pay a fee and keep 100% of your royalties, pay no fee, but give up a piece of your royalties, uh, multiple tiers of service, some that include marketing and some that don't. There's just so many options for independent artists to stay independent. Uh, and that, you know, it creates a really competitive marketplace for major labels. And I think that's a big um, part of the calculus now in whether you sign to a major label or even an independent label is, you know, what's the upside? What are the resources that are going to be available to you? It's no longer the ticket to success that it used to be. It's no longer the the barrier to entry that it might have been um, because we see so many things coming off of DistroKid that are TikTok successes and driving millions of streams in a week or in a month or what have you. Uh, and, and that's all free and clear to the artist, you know, pending any recoupments of their own that they have to budget for, like studio time or friends that they got to pay out. But, you know, that's, that's money straight into the pockets and they don't have to give, you know, 80 to 85% of it to a major label. Now, what we're also starting to see, and, and this has been coming for a while, is consolidation. You know, when you have this many options and it's this competitive, it's inevitable that something is going to collapse on itself. We saw this with the label system, with the, you know, acquisitions of various majors, whether it was Bug or Zamba or Chrysalis. And now we have, you know, then we had four majors and BMG had a partnership with Sony that that ended. And then now EMI is split up in pieces and BMG is back, you know, as a mini major. Uh, and then, of course, there's Cobalt. And Cobalt playing its 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 position as a very very strong independent uh, large publisher, uh, and then its acquisition of distribution platform AWOL, which then it grew and grew and grew, and then just finally sold to Sony, who apparently intends to combine it with the Orchard, which was also previously an independent company. Uh, so all this to point out that there's a ton of consolidation, especially under majors, um, and so. What I get from this, uh, Peter, is that what we're seeing is a gold rush around the combination of data and capital. Now, the labels obviously have the money, and the distributors, considering that they work at volume, have tons of data. Um, the one thing I think that's been uh, hard for labels to really capitalize on uh, when it comes to A&R and research is uh, having really reliable point source data. And now if they own independent distribution companies, if they partner with them at the very least, like with DistroKid, um, they can access the data to see not only who's rising, who's over-indexing versus the market, like a stock, um, but also what trends are bu uh, bubbling up, what things are happening before they're really kind of mainstream and either you know take those chess pieces off the board strategically or you know invest in their own existing roster to kind of capitalize on a trend or you know what's going on so all this to say i don't know that this is going to actually beget in very many if any signings to republic or any you know to be announced label partners, what it might result in is, you know, very few signings, but a lot of insight uh, that the labels can deploy in other ways. And I think we're a ways out from seeing how that plays. But what's to be sure is I expect over the course of this year, just like we saw a lot of publishing catalog acquisitions last year, we might start to see, you know, the these are the first cracks in the wall in terms of the distribution ecosystem. And we start to see some consolidation there. Um, 
you know, we're talking to, to Jeremy momentarily. Uh, and now that uh, Foundy is part of the downtown umbrella, which also includes uh, CD Baby, uh, Dashgo, uh, Sounddrop, Fuga, SongTrust. Um, that's, in my opinion, a great, you know, vertically integrated organization, but it's, you know, obviously causing some excitement in the space of potentially uh, acquiring distribution platforms that that are focused on a lower tier of artists who haven't yet reached sort of that mainstream success and getting entertained by the major labels in the classic sense. Yeah, there, there's so there's so much going on. And, you know, the thing with downtown, we'll get into that more is and you because you look at that downtown like hypnosis, primary wave. And it's like the last year has been just like acquisitions. And we're going to talk about that more with Jeremy, but uh, it's been exciting. And this is something that we see like every six to seven years in the industry, there's this nice kind of bell curve there where everything starts to consolidate. And then you have, then you have like consolidation and then we see innovation and then it takes that next ramp and then it's like okay who has the money who's looking to acquire and everything and just putting the data you know a couple things just going back to your points like the data valuations like you know when warner you know think about when warner started partnering partnering years ago with shazam it's like i always Mm -hmm. joked i'm like oh it's just making their a and r team lazier because now they're looking (laughs) at the data but that's also my concern here i mean one thing with republic and i and i will say why republic is one of the top labels is they are always on the cutting edge they are always sure. leading that charge they're trying something out when they did six seconds of vine they were signing people so i don't i don't necessarily have a concern that they're not going to sign people i think they're very open to signing based on just like data and stuff but also their gut instinct and they've signed some great artists that they didn't take off unfortunately but they so you know you look at that it's like but my concern here looking at all of this coming into play is you know, going back to like the old music metrics and the next big sound before they mm-hmm. were acquired and everything is that, you know, with this kind of district kid, district kid has like what kind of process, like how do they give leverage? Is it is it saying that like, OK, as an artist, here's the data and here's your negotiating points. Are they going to uh, sit across the conference table and negotiate? You know, the, you know, I'm just throwing out, you know, you know, uh, you know, hypotheticals. But here's the one thing is like. When they're giving data to Republic, Republican know, Republic knows, okay, like, all right, data points, we can understand that. And this has always been the concern is our artists are getting signed just on the data trends as opposed to data mm-hmm. and that gut instinct. So what's the value of a gut instinct? Are they going to say, is it going to turn into something like almost a back end and not behind, this isn't like, you know, conspiracy all behind the scenes they're doing this, but is it something like evaluation of a band of saying, here's, here's all the criteria, here's some data points and data sets, here's the sample size. And we're going to group this saying it's a stock. So this band is worth a valuation of X for assigning with this much potential. Is it, is it going to really turn into this almost Wall Streety kind of thing, which you know the oh, industry. Did I think that it's years even ago. it's even worse than that. Mm-hmm. Like I think you know we've we've gone from this phase of labels as VC. I think it was easy to frame it as like you know venture capital adjacent when you know we're in like peak tech startup you know two point oh three point oh whatever era depending on your age back like ten ish years ago 
you know, 10, you know, five to 10 years ago when it's like a huge burst of all these new tech startups, uh, and there's tons and tons and tons of, of, of VC money flowing around, uh, the resurgence of the Bay area, obviously. Um, and, and so we could start to think of, of labels as, as venture capital. And then as a lot of that data starts to coalesce and, and we have things like the echo nest, which then was acquired by Spotify and turned into playlist kind of, you know, mm-hmm. algorithms and generation, we start to see labels as, hedge funds, stock pickers, things like that. And exactly what you're talking about, relying on the data, but a certain amount of like faith that if I bet on this, it'll go. Uh, and I'm making a calculated bet as opposed to just a gamble. Yeah. Well, I think if this goes full tilt data and we obviously have the template of things like, uh, you know, TuneCore and now uh, Ditto op- offering some kind of advanced or, or loan capital or whatever you want to call it, uh, predicated on past sales as a as a way to project like how much you're allowed to have as an advance as opposed mm-hmm. to a, a bet on like what your potential value is if we support you. It's almost actuarial. It's almost like insurance. It's like here's your and that's here's, my here's the starting that point. Like, right. We're like, we're getting into this point of, of of just that you know we're getting away from the feeling of like. I think this could go. I think if we nurture this, if we support the creativity, if we develop this artist, which everybody loves to talk about that they're doing artist development, they're investing in A&R, blah, 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 blah. The reality is they're, they're investing in acquiring assets. And then now it's going to be investing in, you know, the, the capital futures of certain artists. And then the marketing is going to be the fluff around that investment. Exactly. So, all right, Sam, let me uh, let me uh, kick on over. Let me get on to Jer- get Jeremy up here because I know we can continue this conversation. There's a lot to discuss. So, <laughs> all right. So, what well, uh, this this is there's going to be a lot of great data talk. And as you heard, like you know, Jeremy uh, Foundy, um, you know, works with some amazing artists with technology and data. And like, so this is where you, let Jeremy just come on up here. <laughs> Jeremy, how are you? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I could go uh, on, but I'm like, let's just get you up here. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Hi, good to see you. How good you doing? to see you. Very well. How's everything for you? Doing pretty well, you know. Still, I, still uh, hanging out here, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think very well is there. There's a congratulations in order for you about Foundy, you. as uh, Sam mentioned earlier with the uh, downtown uh, music group, and you know that's so much congratulations. I mean, what a great like like team and organization and, and like acquisitions that Justin is, has been putting together. I mean, he's been on a shopping spree. It's like, he's going to take, he's trying to take over the world, I think. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, with their publishing and their assets and their distribution and, you know, can, can you just briefly talk about what Foundy is and what it means to now be able to tie in, bring everything together? Sure. Um, so the Foundy acquisition falls under um, the AVL group that uh, downtown started building. It's their digital assets group that downtown started building, um, I think, about a year and a half ago, before before everybody went on lockdown. So they've been working on this for a while. Um, and Foundy itself, it's F-O-U-N-D dot E-E. You can check it out now. It's That was the shameless plug element. Um, but it's a free free system. You can go sign up. Uh, any musicians, any creators can go sign up for it. And it's always been free. Um, it's a data acquisition and complete marketing tool uh, designed originally for musicians, but it works for anybody who... Uh, 
is a creator of any kind, and that's really what it's designed to support. Um, so the creator could own their own career, and uh, there are many tools. Um, Primarily, it's an advertising tool. Uh, it's a way for people to buy uh, advertising, display advertising, and uh, find new audience, and then use retargeting to uh, reach their uh, existing audiences, people who have engaged with the content before. And it's a series of tools to help uh, connect those dots. So all the tools to acquire that data, whether it be uh, retargeting pixels. So there's a URL shortener that uh, adds a cookie to the computer of the person who clicked on it. Uh, so you can collect that data, understand who that is, where they came from, and then advertise them later. There's a marketing page where you can, in a matter of seconds, design a really great rich media page with content and links, all of your links consolidated into one place. So um, that also you know, fires that pixel and uh, gets that data in place so that you own all of the information about your audience. There's email marketing, there's, you know, email data acquisition that we've added recently. Um, so there's all kinds of great tools. And I think really where it falls in with this acquisition and why it's such a great um, connection is, is looking at the AVL uh, suite of tools. You've got CD Baby, Dashgo, uh, you've got all of these great, um, digital tools for artists and creators to distribute and own their own content. Um, and, and Tracy Maddox, who was the CEO of CD Baby before, is now the head of the AVL division, has been a, a champion for Foundy since, uh, since day one. They were one of our early investors. Um, and, you know, they really came to the table with this vision of, uh, a, a complete set of tools to help independent musicians. And I think that's something really interesting that downtown has through this AVL group and it extends to song trust where you can manage your, um, your royalties and it, dash go and, and CD baby, where you can manage your distribution. Um, and Fuga is all in the, you know, with more distribution repertoire management, there's all these great tools. So the goal is, and what we're building now, um, and Jason Hobbs, the, the founder, of Foundy is going to be an, an executive at um, AVL and, and downtown is uh, linking all those things together so that you know if you're a Fuga user, you have access to all the data tools of Foundy. If you're a Dash Go user, you have all the data tools of Foundy. If you're a TuneCore user, there's all those tools mm -hmm. linked together. And we actually already have some of that. Uh, some of it exists. Uh, Foundy is um, part of uh, Show.co, uh, which is was a CD Baby's marketing platform. So that's been there for a while. Um, it's just extending those uh, integrations. It was a natural, and, it was, it was yeah. a natural growth yeah. and, you know, coming together. Exactly. So, yeah. so fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, and we're going to talk, I'm going to get back to data when I bring Sam back up here, we're going to talk about all this importance of data and, you know, with the distributors and with marketing, everything, I, there's so much, you know, I wanted to touch uh, just really briefly, um, because from a marketing standpoint and talking about like going into 2021 and, you know, we still don't have live shows and back in 2020, you know, and like the uprising of VR 
and everything, especially during the the lockdowns and the fact that you have platforms like Altspace VR is you can access on a desktop in 2D. The Oculus Quest 2 came out with a price point that le lends itself to mass adoption. I mean, they estimated 1 million sold. Mass adoption rate is about 10 million. And that's when we're really going to see the hockey stick curve uh, go into play. But you, you've worked with artists, you know, John Legend that did a immersive 360 video in Wave, and also with Lindsey Sterling, who you can go to Wave uh, Wave VR. It's now Wave, but now it's actually shutting down because they're consolidating more into live events. So Wave is shutting down. So all of Lindsey's stuff is going to go away. I know a lot of people are moving over to sell the platform Neos, but I really just wanted to touch base really quick because I've been doing a lot in VR. We do VR music and VR networking events, like 150, 200 people roll through every Monday night in alt space. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on like, what's just quick over like thoughts on like with marketing and incorporating musicians into the VR platform and what your experience has been working with those artists. Yeah. Um, my personal experience really extends, uh, to the wave, the wave XR, um, and loved working with them. Uh, we did two great shows. Uh, we were actually, you know, Peter, one of the things you just touched on is the mass distribution. And honestly, um, I was the way was on my radar for a long time. Um, I knew their uh, partnerships person who who just what left uh, Nicole, who's at Peloton now, um, for a long time back in the day. She was at Twitter, and um, you know Lindsey Sterling is just the perfect artist yeah. to match. So we were actually, I think, their second show when they transitioned from VR to XR. And that was important to me um, because I wasn't super interested from a marketing perspective, from a mass distribution perspective in a headset experience. Obviously the headset experience, putting the VR thing on is a huge deal um, for the user who loves that. But for me, I was marketing a record. You know, I wanted, I wanted people, I wanted to reach as many people as possible. And you know, we were able to have a million people watching that first broadcast uh that Lindsay did um and i think she again she was the second mixed reality show so there was a headset experience and a 2d experience you could just go on youtube you could go on twitch and you could watch it uh in real time um and that was cool because she was in a mocap suit in a virtual world it's still available on youtube you could still go check it out and that was more about breaking boundaries of what a live experience is than it was about mm -hmm. um, it was engaging an audience and doing something really special um, that you couldn't possibly do live. It was in a physical like video game environment. You can't do that. When it was John, we had been planning it since before the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. So John Legend did one also. Uh, his was in a, a magical Caribbean style club. Um, that one also brought with it elements of he couldn't perform live. So he really he really was sitting and playing piano and singing in a mocap suit and standing with a microphone singing in a mocap suit. And then he was transported into this magical, you know, Caribbean club that was called Bigger Love, the name of his album. Um, and we loved doing that and engaging with those fans. Um, and that was, again, it was a way to reach people. Uh, it was early, earlier, it was about June. So it was earlier in the shutdown. Um, so it was still, you know, all these virtual concerts weren't happening. It was still a pretty special event. Um, but that was a big uh, moment from a marketing perspective for data acquisition. We we had, uh, it was free, 
but we had people signing up for tickets. So we collected mm -hmm. all the data around around those. And then um, and we collected many, many email addresses that we still use to this day and had great experiences and raised money uh, to help people uh, who uh, are currently incarcerated and impacted by COVID, which is a huge issue right mm -hmm. now. So we were raising raising money for that. Liz, the, the gift that keeps on giving about uh, the wave is it's all mocap data. So the artist doesn't actually have to uh, perform again to do it again. You, we broad, we rebroadcasted Lindsay's performance a year later uh, as a fundraiser for St. Jude. Um, and all she did was get in the mocap suit to do a chat. So she's great talking to her audience. She did a chat with her audience and they played, they replayed the same performance from a year before of her dancing and playing violin. So it looked live and then she was there live for the chat. And I think we raised over $50,000 for St. Jude in, in an hour. Um, wow, so that was a, a huge event for us. Um, and so we, we keep doing it. And my understanding is the wave isn't going away completely. It's that they are powering these other experiences. The headset mm. experience is going away. Right, but yeah. they're going to keep on powering these other experiences, which to me was the exciting part until you get 10 million, you know, right yeah. now in music, it's beat, beat saber is like the only, <laughs> you know, big VR thing that I've heard of that really lands. And I, we don't have any artists in beat saber yet. Um, but I've you know talked to them a little bit and I love the idea. It's yeah. super fun. It's, I like watching videos. Yeah. If you can land like the music pack, like the BTS music pack mm -hmm. in beat saber, you know, that that's like yeah. getting, that's like similar to getting your music on like in TikTok. It's like, that's the exactly. new, yeah. that's the new, uh, uh, that's the new gaming. It's the new video games, but it's VR and gaming. It's all starting to mm -hmm. come together. Uh, and that's really, it's it, yeah. really interesting. And it's amazing. And it's great to see like, you know, what, what John and Lindsay are doing. It's for a good cause. And that's a lot of what's going on in the VR mm -hmm. world right now. It's a community and that growing community. It's like the, the, some of them are like, it's like the misfits, the outcasts that are just doing stuff. It's always that underground community that's coming up with unique, different ways. And there's a lot of musicians it's amazing to see how many people are musicians that have went out and taught themselves unity to so they can build mm -hmm. worlds and what the djs are doing in their uh tribe and the with, with tribe and the dj virtual djing um also with like burning man like burning man is everywhere they're mm -hmm. really the ones that really helped along with the education but so many things i, I want to bring sam back up here because i'd like to tie in everything with going into 2021 talking about marketing and data and looking at these mergers and acquisitions and how everything is going to maybe potentially like you know kind of dip into the uh, eight ball and uh, see what comes up. So Sam, let's get you back up here. How you doing? I'm back. All right. So um, uh, Sam, just yep. I, I know you got some questions. Yeah, I'd like I'll let well, you. Well, so kind of, I, I really uh, first off to echo Peter. Congratulations. Um, I've been you know you. obviously yeah. watching the the growth of Foundy and 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 it's it's an impressive platform that like it, it the tools. Here's the thing about Obviously, so I haven't really used Foundy personally that much. I know people who do and love it. And I know people who have used show.co and love it and people who are on the inside of the downtown umbrella. And, and you know, I used to be once upon a time, this was like nine-ish, eight or nine years ago. Um, I, a lot of respect for what's going on there. I think it kind of instilled in me this perception that like, this is just how it's supposed to be done. In the sense of like, if we all just like really cared enough and did a really good job, um, a lot of the stuff that seems like 
successful, innovative ideas would kind of just be de rigueur, you know? And I think I, I, I bring some of this mentality to the work that I do at Studio 71, uh, monetizing music content on YouTube, especially. It's like, this, we're just plugging holes half the time and we're just trying to run an efficient business that seems to be, you know, uh, underwhelming to other companies. But if they only cared enough, they'd see just how much gold is, is hidden for them, for their assets. Um, how do you kind of it, it figure from a marketing perspective with friends at work and also in, in what's going on with Foundy and it's sort of like next life? What's your sort of uh, prognosis of what is the current state of affairs in marketing music and what you think needs to happen to get us over this, you know, this hill of, of, of the next phase of, of recordings as like the central piece of the music industry? That's a really good question. And it's something that I think about all the time. Um, I think, you know, Foundy almost as a, a metaphor for it, it's it's really management centralizing uh, all of it in one place. Um, and, you know, it's something that as a user of Foundy, because I was a user before I was a partner, um, that I really never understood is um, that kind of data that the, the short URLs, all the, those marketing pages tend to be owned by labels. Um, labels working with Foundy, uh, Concord is, uses Foundy exclusively. A lot of labels use Linkfire. A lot of labels use Smart URL um, featured on FM, and, and no, you know, with all those people, there's no shade whatsoever on any of those, and we have tons of respect for all of them. Um, you know the labels tend to be the ones who give you the link and say, hey, use this link. And then all that data goes into one, you know, into a label repository. To me, the whole purpose of Foundy being free and and unlimited sharing of accounts is I have an account. Lindsey Sterling has two different label partners and multiple gold records that are distributed on TuneCore. You know, so we need to be able to give our links to BMG. We need to be able to give our links to Concord. We need to be able to distribute our links internally. Um, so that is all owned by us as management. And mm -hmm. I think that centralizing all that around the artist, because that's really what management is, right? We are an extension of the artist, um, is really the future. Even if it's not entirely run by the artist, is centralizing that data so that the artist kind of that data moves with the artist rather than moving with the label. And that kind of goes back to your point, Sam, like it would be like that if everybody just did it, but the labels are the ones who are most incentivized because the recorded music is, well, it's not the only financial driver of the industry anymore. It is still very much the marketing center. That unit of marketing is a song in a lot of ways. But to me, you know, we use that data for marketing tours, for marketing streams, for marketing events. So I like having it in my own, you know, things beyond recorded music, um, which is where a lot of our financial incentive fits. So I think that's a, a big deal for us. So just, I just want to clarify one thing. Are you uh, post-acquisition? Are you still working with Foundy? Um, I'm going to be helping out. Um, I'm not a full-time employee. I've never been a full-time employee. I've always been a partner. Um, Jason sure. is actually taking the company within ABL. So the founder, um, Jason Hobbs, will be in the downtown umbrella. Um, there, I'm always going to be a part of something, but I have no official, once that is, is set, I have no official uh, tie to it. Um, sure. But I'm a user. So I'm, yeah, you know, yeah. I've got 
over I've got retargeting data in the millions across multiple artists and I you know will not be giving that up so as far as uh, always using it and always uh, being part of that feedback loop and being on a constant Skype with Jason and Thomas the other um, the other uh, partner I don't think that's that's going away sure well so then considering your dedicated position in management and the marketing of the artists on roster. Um, one of the things that's been interesting to me in the past, we'll call it 10 years because it's really been uh, coalescing around this, the, the rise of music streaming as well as the um, burgeoning independent artist scene. And obviously then therefore the power of the managers who work with those artists is the sort of manager as uh, you know, alternative to label, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, one of the first times I, I really kind of realized this was happening uh, was, um, I believe it's September management that was that worked Adele. And I remember right around like 2014, 2015, seeing a lot of noise about like, oh, they're hiring all kinds of people that would normally work for labels, marketing and, you know, royalty accounting and things like that, because they realized, well, a lot of this stuff just isn't being done very well at the label level. And we need to kind of bolster our own radio promotion and our own PR and our own, all of these things that you would typically task a label with. And then of course the labels, in my opinion, which it's just my opinion and may not be, you know, shared by very many other people, but I feel like major labels in general are kind of backsliding into this actuarial financing role, as opposed to being a development partner and a marketing partner and like the creative engine, but, you know, behind launching something into the stratosphere. Um, so obviously they're acquiring a lot to do with data. Do you see managers taking on, you know, especially going forward and especially given the digital tools at our disposal, do you see managers taking on much more of the weight of the um, marketing and development than ever before? Considering already it's been a, a heavy load for managers, myself being one, I, I know this very intimately, uh, but do you see that, that split continuing and even kind of like codifying into like labels don't do marketing anymore? Or do you see labels like trying to continue to convince people like me that they're actually any good at this because my experience would say otherwise? Yeah, um, again, it's a good question. I do think it is going to continue moving more and more to managers. I feel that that is the future because the manager is the most incentivized from all elements of an artist's career. I mean, I actually teach a class at USC that is essentially talking about that in the music industry program. It's essentially talking about that exact trend and how an individual can be trained out to uh, get out of school and jump in and like be at a management company and have marketing on the mind as you're doing things. The fact is, I think, Sam, one of the things you brought up, though, is not a lot of management companies have... Um, it's the royalty accounting, the repertoire management. Um, there are a lot of things like that that are really core label functions. I worked at a label for six years. I worked at Concord. And, you know, those functions are so important and must be done right. Metadata management, all those things that sound kind of mundane are super important. Um, I don't know that ma management will take that on ubiquitously, like all the time, everybody doing it. But I think marketing especially, we are so, as managers, so incentivized to do it. That it's just like it's such a big part of our incentive structure because the more we understand our artist's audience, the more data we have, um, the more we're going to succeed. And at this point, you know, friends at work, where I'm, you know, the head of 
I'm the head of one of two marketing divisions. I mean, my team is three people plus an intern. And then we have a whole other team that is focused solely on brands and a head mm. of brand marketing who just is doing like, so I'm only doing kind of the record label style of like um, DSP partnerships, uh, data acquisition, fan engagement. And then we have a whole other person who is brand deals, you know, getting you know money and, and that kind of flow. And that's something that, you know, she works with the labels. She works with the agencies to manage that. But we, we have an internal person who has to have to do that. Um, and that's how much business flow there is. There. That's brand new. I mean, that's a lot by brand new. I mean, the last 10 years in management, maybe 15 sure. at most that a management company but not like would 67. have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, it's not an old school manager function of, you know, the start of the management business. And there's so much, and, and, that, and even when it comes to like the data, it's like, you know, extrapolating, interpreting, like, you know, putting it to the right use, because if you're not looking at data in the right way, or you're not looking at the right question and answer, you, you're, it just takes you, it's not going to give you any results that you're looking for or like that. It's. That's a good point. Um, Sam, you mentioned something earlier about how the majors lack point source data. Um, and I actually was thinking, and I wrote this down, that like the challenge is both sides are kind of lacking a certain kind of data. The yeah. major labels are lacking point source data, that, that bubbling up, that like what little thing, like we have an artist named Spielberg who is um, really killing it with Reddit live streams. Like he, he does two Reddit live streams a week. It's not a big live stream platform. It's brand new. Every single time he does it, we see an uptick in Spotify followers. For Spotify followers from a Reddit live stream, mm -hmm. we are actually seeing that correlation. No label is, is looking at that. We have to send that to them. But what we lack as managers is the granular data. It's the skip rates. It's the, you know, this play that we know how many blunt streams moved something on, on Spotify playlists. We know we can do pretty good granular data on YouTube, but we know kind of bigger trends on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, pretty granular on YouTube, but the labels all have the Spotify API. They know exactly what's moving where. So to, to Peter's point, then the question is, do you read it right? You know, do the labels know how to read it in context? Because we lack the context as managers altogether. We have two, three, four, maybe 20 artists at a big management company. They've got hundreds of releases that they can compare it against. But if you're making the comparison wrong, you know, uh, comparing um, two artists with very different, different demographics and expecting the same results, are you going to get the right end result? That's that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't work in the major, so I can't comment on connecting those dots. Yeah, there's and I love the fact Reddit streaming and this is something that so many musicians aren't aware of these other platforms and especially during this time uh just fun like you know there's Twitch, there's YouTube and it's like and there's Instagram and it's like live streams like and then all of a sudden you start hearing about these artists on Reddit. It's like, whoa. And for Reddit users, it's a completely different world. They're not used to like a musician live streaming. So that's a great pocket. And that's what is great about like what has occurred. It's like the innovators and, I, and are like, oh, I can live stream here. Let me go do this and let me try this out. I mean, LinkedIn has a live stream if you can get accepted into that program. Uh, Twi uh, Twitter has fleets. I don't, I, I think they're fleet 
fleeting already, but <laughs> um, you know, it's a fleeting moment. I, I just uh, I don't understand the purpose of that, but everything's trying to be Instagram. Everything's trying to be TikTok, but where you can stand out in going, you know, especially when there's no live, I mean, we're not going to see live for a while. So the opportunity is to stand out and you can collect information. And like you said, it's like clubhouse now. I mean, clubhouse I've spoken, I've moderated some panels in there and my Instagram is blowing up. So now mm -hmm. I can, now my audience is becoming more Instagram and I'm having chats with, so it's, it's utilizing what technology is there. What is, what is making the needle move and double down on that almost. Um, yeah. You know, what's interesting, yeah. Peter, is you mentioned Clubhouse, mm -hmm. and I, I heard that uh, there's quite a bit of like song, like public songwriting happening, uh, which is super fascinating to me. I am pretty bearish on Clubhouse in general. I think as a whole thing, it has a lot to prove, and I'm not sold. Uh, but one really interesting use case is if a Clubhouse room of songwriters get together and co-write in real time over clubhouse in front of a, a you know a listening public I, I don't want to say a watching public but uh, a listening public and they can kind of you know be a fly on the wall in the studio and i think that's a really exciting kind of experience for a lot of people that don't understand how that works and for maybe for a lot of songwriters they wouldn't think of that because for them it's so uh it's so normal to engage in that process and you don't necessarily want to be on display while you do it but it creates an opportunity for it's an additional touch point for connecting with artists. And I think, you know, tools like that, um, anytime there's something new, I mean, it's to me, it's reminiscent of the old adage in like live booking. It's like, well, you got to do small markets and college dates because they don't get any performers coming through. So they're, you know, hungry for it. And you'll get a lot of draw on the big guarantees and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's true. And it never fails to be true because it's just like, for some reason, we never like exhaust the fact that there are untapped markets or one of my favorite things is when I have an artist with a particular hobby, you know, maybe they're a, you know, a computer enthusiast or they're a whiskey enthusiast. It's like, okay, I'm going to get their record premiere in that enthusiast magazine or website, not in billboard, not in, you know, mm -hmm. pitchfork because it, it's a different saturation. Exactly. And then, so, Sam, you're hitting Go on, go on, Jerry. I was going to add to what, uh, give Sam a, a yes and. Like, one of the things you're hitting on that's really interesting that we think about a lot is even when you're dealing on a bigger artist level, um, like a, an artist with an established audience, reaching that fan base, you, you almost have to create something unexpected and new. You know, we'd still put artists on, on late night. TV shows on, you know, YouTube, these are those, you know, a lot of those live streams where you see artists from all around the world streaming and things like that. They just don't, they're great things to do, but they don't move the marketing needle. You don't see that data feedback um, in the same way that you do when you really capture people's imagination. And I think that element of surprising and new, surprise and delight, I guess, is the term that gets used a lot. Um, Capturing an audience that's not necessarily expecting to see an artist, to, you know, today, which is why, like, you know, on the bigger level, TV syncs work. You know, a sync in a show where the artist is on TV and the song is really prominent works really well. Or something new coming out on TikTok or Twitch, um, surprising people. You know, really capturing their imagination. Fleetwood Mac dreams a guy on a skateboard, totally out of context to the song. You know, 
but now you have it playing in your ear and now it's kept ca catching on and then Mick does it and now it's a meme and now it's fun. You know, just kind of capturing people outside of their expectations uh, seems to be such a huge part of actually moving that needle. Exactly. And and it's you know, one thing I was going to ask you before we start wrapping up, because I, I know you're very busy. I mean, we can go on forever. And I still haven't even talked about NFTs with you. So I think that's going to be a whole different conversation. Like that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just when it comes to like if you were giving advice to that, you know, the artist, not, it's like the, the artist that's been grinding, that's been getting the pickup that is starting to see some movement, maybe they're on a small independent or they're just about to get signed. You know, looking at 2021, you know, what is it with all these different platforms? And it's so easy as an artist when they don't have a team to get bogged down and lost in everything. What what would you want to like say as a takeaway for an artist in that space to like focus on when it comes to marketing themselves? I, the thing that we're working on really, there's kind of two elements. One is, um, I think, know who you are and be different uh, and like really try and identify like the, the biggest thing that I talk to a lot of our younger marketing you know, team about and artists and my students about is really trying to identify what it is that makes an artist special, unique and different. Like, why would you listen to this artist's music over any of the other competition in the world and the competition being literally everything else in the world, Netflix, gaming, social media, you could do anything else at any moment, work um, all the time. Why would I listen to this artist in one of those things? And really being able to identify that. And, and a good way to do that is to look at your favorite artists and write down like three traits that make them so different that like no one else has that and then you must check them out and then identify those things or even create them within yourself like decide what that's going to be and then creating the authenticity just putting it out there and like reiterating that work over time i'm not quite fully sold on the just make music and put it out make music and put it out um thing that a lot of people do like just driving singles all the time. I do prefer having a little bit more set up, a little bit more around it, but those things should all like artwork, video, content, everything is about content and distribution. And all of those things should tie back to those things that make you special, unique and different. So if you're single is, is hardcore punk and you look like a young pop star, there's gotta be a reason connecting those two things. That might be awesome, but there's gotta be a reason for it. And then the fact that you have we are right now in a moment where between TikTok to a lesser degree, uh, Clubhouse, Twitch, um, where there are additive algorithms. You know, for years we had Facebook and Instagram were the only kind of marketing tools. Between 2012 or so with YouTube and now with Twitch, sorry, now with TikTok, there, there has not been a time where an algorithm adds to your audience. You know, Instagram and Facebook algorithms remove your audience. They take the people you have as followers and they decide the small group that should see it, not all of them. What TikTok is doing is they're saying, no, this is cool. A lot of people want to see it. We're going to push it out there. So it's a new opportunity. Um, it's, it's a, I would not advise my artists to hope to go TikTok viral because you really can't control that. But a lot of artists are building interesting fan bases on there um, that they are able to maneuver. I think that's really interesting. And I think things like Clubhouse might have that, at least in the short term, um, things like Twitch, where like people are kind of, if you're in the right demo, if you if that works, 
then people can kind of find a tribe on there. And Reddit too has been really strong for us. Mm -hmm. Anywhere where there's like new tribes building are good places to look. Fantastic. All right. Uh, I think we're going to have to wrap up for today. This has been fantastic. I know we can keep going. Jeremy, can we have you back in like a month? Like, cause we can keep going sure, forever. Um, yeah, Sam, I would love to actually have that digital, the, the digital collectibles yeah. conversation is what we should have for sure. At some point. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So, uh, Sam, any final, uh, wrap up question or anything for Jeremy before you head out? I just want to say, Jeremy, I, I appreciate you joining us and, and sharing your thoughts. Um, this isn't the first time we've had you on the show, and it's it's always a pleasure to to go back and forth with you because I I like I mentioned, you know, there's just so much about this that seems like it should be obvious but isn't to a lot of folks, and then there's like that whole extra layer of things that are aren't obvious to anyone that you really only get to experience when you're working with artists that friend like like the artists that friends at work gets to work with. So it's very helpful to the rest of us to kind of hear that insight. So I appreciate you and your time today. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for saying that. And thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Jeremy. All right. And stay safe, stay healthy. And, and hopefully we'll, this will all be behind us soon enough. We'll be all out having a drink somewhere at a festival. So, all right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> all right. And that's going to be it for today. Thank you all for tuning in. If you want to continue the conversation, leave a comment below. Uh, we're going to be doing more talks throughout the week. So pop in. I'm going to be doing more open free form chats again. Uh, if you find this interesting, I hope you do hit that subscribe button and ring the notification bell to be alerted about new shows. You can also find us at musicindustrycity.com and on your preferred podcast player. Thank you again to my co-host, Sam Toll, and our special guest, Jeremy, Z uh, Jeremy Gruber. Have a rocking day. Peace.